Hello again and welcome to the second episode of our new local series, Collie Just Transition, where we find out what's happening at the coalface of our town's diversification to create new opportunities for our community to flourish well beyond the life of the coal industry. Collie Community Radio is working in partnership with the WA Government to bring you all the latest information. We have a new guest in every episode to talk about their involvement in the Just Transition Working Group in the wider Collie community and beyond. And we have John Carney from the Department of the Premier and Cabinet's Collie Delivery Unit who will provide us with some more updates and answers to your questions. Yeah, thanks, Noah. Yeah, we've already had a couple of questions come in, which we'll get into uh, later on in the show. But just a reminder for your listeners, uh, if they'd like to submit um, any questions for future episodes, they can do do so at our website. So that the website, wa.gov.au forward slash Collie Just Transition, all lowercase, all one word. Thanks, John. Now, as you may well know, in August 2019, the State Government announced the staged retirement of Muja Power Station's two C units from October 2022. First, Unit 5 in October 2022, and then Unit 6 in 2024. Now, October 22 is rapidly approaching, less than a year away. Consequently, Synergy is the most advanced in implementing their workforce transition program for workers. So I'm keen to get some insight into what that process actually looks like. We've got Mick Hill in the studio today, who is the manager of Thermal Generation and is in charge at Synergy's Muja Power Station here in Collie. Mick, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Nola. Um, good to be here. First of all, can you talk us through the workforce transition program that Synergy has been busy implementing in recent years and months? What does it look like? Yeah, what's it look like is an interesting question. We kind of focus on what it feels like. Um, And the approach we're taking is a people-first approach where we've gone through a a process of individual discussions with people. We recognise everyone has their own story and, um, and has their own spin and their own needs. So talking to individuals to work out their um, their future plans, whether it could be to retire, where they may, may need superannuation or financial planning, um, they may want to go into other opportunities, so formalisation of their existing training or development of new skills. But we've also recognised their families, so very early on held some, um, some roadshows, um, family engagement sessions to see what future um, opportunities their, their family may need as well. Um, but again, sticking with that personal approach or the, as we, we like to term it, co-creation. How was this plan created? Great question. We knew the closure was inevitable. Um, we'd been working uh, with, at a senior level with unions um, and, and sort of forecasted, not knowing what the announcement would be, but knowing it could impact. So we, uh, we co-created a transition pathway um, at, a, at a senior level to start with. And then as we uh, brought that closer to, to site, we formed an on-site working group, uh, 42 volunteers from the, from the workforce, plus about eight or 10 of the leadership team, um, where we joined together, really a brainstorming session in the first instance. Uh, but what we very quickly realised was we had a lot of experience. So there was about 1,500 years of experience in that room. And so we started off with setting some design principles that whatever we come up with had to be safe for our people and safe for our plant. Um, it had to be sustainable for the future. 
So stage D still got many years to run, so it had to be sustainable for the uh, for the longevity of the business, but also had to um, be measured along the way and end game that we've got an engaged workforce. So um, we did it again, as I've already mentioned, people first approach and, and, and develop that pathway. Why did you work this way? What was Synergy's goal? Why we did it this way... Our preferred method of, of uh, engagement is through through working with our people um, and our goal was to actually that stage D, so unit 7 and unit 8, will remain operational for another 10 to 15 years um, as far as the asset life cycle is concerned. Um, but we did that because the volunteers from our workforce actually sat down and then helped us design that future operating model. As I mentioned, we recognised the, um, the years of experience to do that. We also, we took that approach because we wanted to look for technology improvements um, because we're going to have to have less people, so we need to be able to work smarter. And then taking that approach, we jointly decided which roles um, would remain, which ones may become redundant or which ones we may actually um, have to upskill to be able to meet that that need. Uh, But also we wanted to equip people that were going to leave for their future skills to be able to uh, impact not just Collie but the region to be able to actually carry on and add, add value in the community. What does the future look like for those employees from UGC? How many are, are reskilling or retiring? Yeah, great question. Um, we've got around the 70 mark that are, that are choosing to uh, to leave the business. Our, um, our goal and our commitment was 100% happiness. So that means any person um, that intended or, or had a, a desire to either train or leave we were going to give their first choice of, and, and, and hence that, that uh, measure of happiness. So about 70 um, will move through to retirement. A few also have, have chosen to, um, to leave and pursue other opportunities within Synergy. We've got two guys already moved to our gas turbine section um, and sort of diversify their skills. And then others um, that are remaining were enacting their individual training pathways, again, including up skills. So this is cool. So far this year, we've got 58 people who've received formal qualifications. Um, a success story I like to share. One of them people is a, um, a 60-year-old operator that now has formal uh, process technician qualifications. He, um, his words were he had to learn how to learn again, but was able to do that with, with good support from our transition team. Um, and he now has a, a longer future where he'll be staying with, with us for um, another until he retires, until he's ready to leave. Um, so how many are reskilling? So far, 60. Um, most people have picked up some sort of option of development. Well, that's really supportive, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a good to hear. You're the first to really feel the effects and, and to have to implement a just transition plan. What can the other employers in town learn from what you've done if and when they're faced with a similar situation in the future? Look, if people don't remember anything else, I would suggest just to remember one thing, don't underestimate our people. The, um, they have all been in the region for a long time, they've been in the industry, for most have been in industries for a long time. Um, so engage your people in the decision-making process and trust them a little, uh, but also act early and make informed choices. So. From a company perspective, um, our eye is on keeping an engaged workforce. The um, you know we still do have a, a station to run at the end of this, so we don't want people 
prematurely leaving. So by keeping them engaged, they're happy to stay and, and, and we agree on a pathway to, uh, to finally exit. Um, so that's also how we're working broadly, more broadly in the region to make sure that we can work out timing of when some skills may transfer. The, um, so I guess that key message in there is just, yeah, act early and make informed choices. And in our case, those design principles, safe plants, safe people, sustainable operations, and an engaged workforce, we test all of our decisions against that, doesn't meet that criteria. But what about the contractors who aren't directly employed by Synergy? Uh, are they going to be left behind? Yeah, we got caught out a bit, to be honest. Um, we really focused on, on the, our, our Synergy employees, but we do have about another um, 100 long-term contractors on site, or business partners, as I prefer to call them. The, um, now, some of them people have actually been on that site 20 years plus. And so we've now, um, for those long-termers and embedded contractors, we've supported their leadership teams. So they're now, them 100 people have also all had one-to-ones, so we understand their individual needs. Um, and getting some great commitment at how many actually do want to stay with the business, um, also committed to our little industrial village. Um, they want to stay there supporting it as well. So comfortable now that the uh, the contractors are just part of the team as far as uh, we're able to support their, their uh, leadership structures to, to help their people. That's a substantial effort that uh, Synergy has made and uh, it's to be admired. So how is Synergy contributing to Collie's Just Transition Working Group and supporting the community during the transition? Yeah, we've, we've kept it an arm's length to a point um, because this was our method. It didn't necessarily mean that method will, um, will suit everybody. So, however, what we were able to do to, to keep in touch, so um, our community relations officer, Vanessa, um, is part of the Just Transition Working Group and we also have, they sort of flash in and out a bit, but about three to, in, three to four employees um, that, are, that are part of the, um, the, the Collie Just Transition Group. Um, and until recently, I recently resigned from the, um, the Chamber of Commerce, but we were getting input indirectly um, by supporting the memorandum of understanding and the commitment to the Just Transition. Um, and other than that, just our, our, uh, our sponsorship, we'd love to give around the community through the Collie Community Grants. Um, which I think I saw you filling out as I, yeah. as I yes, walked in we, to support the local radio. We were one of the lucky recipients and um, I know that I was just recently up at Glen Lee uh, School and uh, their new plot to plate, they, they're growing vegetables and upskilling like that and I know Synergy uh, made a substantial donation there. So, And Vanessa's certainly out and about in the community and a well-known face. So, yeah, it's... Uh, a great effort. Yeah, no, she does a great job. Well, thank you for joining us, Mick, and sharing this insight with us on air today. Now, John, Collie's Just Transition Working Group has been meeting regularly and doing lots of work behind the scenes. What's the latest news on that front? Yeah, thanks, Nola. Yeah, that's right. We're always busy behind the scenes. Um, a piece of uh, good news that's recently come out that you may have missed, or your listeners, is the Minister for Regional Development, Alana McTiernan, announced uh, funding for a feasibility study into a magnesium refinery. That's a commitment of uh, 280000 from the Collie Futures Industry Development Fund to, mo- to investigate the potential to set up that business in Collie. Uh, the, the company at, uh, is called Magnum Australia and they aim to use renewable energy and CSIRO technology 
to produce high purity magnesium using carbon neutral technology. Magnesium is a versatile high value metal that can be used in alloys and components, hydrogen storage, electronics, medical implants and more. So that was a bit, bit of good news out of the government recently because we're very keen to encourage uh, the proponent to come to set up in Collie. A big event is being planned for Collie in 2022 to celebrate its history to coincide with the 125 year anniversary of being gazetted as a town. Yeah, Nola, um, that's a direct result of the actual just transitioning um, working group. Each each group, there's a breakdown of four subgroups and one of those subgroups is celebrating Collie's history. Uh, the, the particular subgroup mentioned um, is led up by the Southwest Development Commission. They're the lead on that. Uh, they've currently engaged a event facilitator who has uh, been working and engaging with the community and stakeholders just to collate ideas of um, how people or the community may like to celebrate our history. Um, I think it's planned that there'll be a major event in the weekend of December, but along the way in 2022, there'll be smaller events um, to capitalise on on the 125. Hopefully, um, as the broadcasts continue, we will um, endeavour to keep the community and people updated um, on this segment and also in the Collie River Bulletin newspaper. Well, we had a question come through from a listener. I'll read it to you so you can respond. Malcolm Whiteman wrote in with this, Listening to the podcast and regarding the river, I see many tourists visit the Swinging Bridge. Disappointingly, the river and riverbanks in this area are less than appealing. The bridge also is in a state of disrepair. The question is, can tourist attractions be identified and ensure they are at least kept neat and tidy? Yeah, thanks, Nola, and thank you, Malcolm, for taking the time to write in. I have looked into this for you and got some information directly from the Shire of Collie. Firstly, in regards to the swinging swinging bridge, the Shire has advised, the suspension bridge holds important heritage value for the Shire. It was constructed around 1904, and the bridge is only one of a few suspension footbridges in Western Australia. The Shire says it recognises the need for the bridge to be renewed and has funding allocated for works on the structure this financial year. These works will see repairs that are needed while retaining the heritage integrity of the structure. Meanwhile, the riverbanks are a combined effort of the state and local government with support of corporate sponsors and volunteer efforts. Area maintenance, weed management, planting and litter cleanup are an, on, an ongoing uh, effort. The Collier Friends of the River Environmental Group play an important role and the Shire has been able to facilitate funding from South 32 to assist with the provisions of equipment, plants and the like to, to help improve the river environment. And on that point, I'd also like to add that the State Government also has invested millions of dollars in a number of tourism attractions around Collie, including the Collie Mural Trail with the Wellington Dam Mural, Lake Kepwari, the Collie Adventures Trail, Collie Motorplex Upgrades, and renovating the Throstle Street facades. Work has also been done on the Collie Roundhouse to prepare it for um, development, plus various, various smaller grants for small businesses in the tourism market. 
So there's certainly been a lot of work done in the tourism space. So thank you, Malcolm, for your question. And to all your listeners out there, uh, Nola, if they'd like to ask any more questions and uh, with what work has been done in Collie, you can submit it on our website, which is wa.gov.au forward slash Collie Just Transition. Thank you for that, John Carney. And thank you again, Mick Hill from Synergy, for joining us for this episode. I'm Nola Green, and I'll speak to you again in the next episode of Collie Just Transition. You can also catch up on episodes on the Collie Just Transition website, which is wa.gov.au forward slash Collie Just Transition, all lowercase, all one word. Collie Just Transition, all lowercase, all one word. Thank you for listening.